Hey everyone, welcome back to my channel. This is Robert Fedorik speaking. It is so good to have you here. Folks, today on Titans of Now, I'm really pleased to announce we have Mr. Tim Woodruff. Tim, say hello to the audience. Hello, audience. Hey, Tim, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm honored to be here. The honor is mine. We always start at the start, and where did you get your start with ServiceNow? With ServiceNow, I started at Symantec, who makes like Norton antivirus, is probably how most people would know them. I was responsible for global training and QA for Symantec, so I would travel around and teach you know, whatever sort of technical stuff they needed me to teach, mostly about information security, sometimes about technical support and that kind of thing, and sometimes programming. And then Symantec said, hey, we want to implement a new IT service management solution. So I got to help them decide which one to implement. And then they said, hey, do you want to be a developer for that? Because they knew I had some developer chops, but I wasn't, strictly speaking, a developer for them. And I said, yes, please. Kind of been wanting to be a developer my whole life. But I uh, never went to college for it or anything. And I actually dropped out of high school. So I didn't have that piece of paper that says, hey, everybody, I'm a developer. But I had the know-how. And they gave me the opportunity to kind of show my stuff. And so I took that opportunity. And, and hopefully they don't regret it. <laughs> I suspect not, but man, holy cow, am I ever glad to hear that they gave you the shot. I am so, it's just like a big pet peeve of mine that so many companies just miss the forest through the trees. They miss out on so many experts because they're looking for, oh, a developer. You must have a master's of science, right? Yeah. You must have a master's of comp sci. And it's like, you know, not, not knocking those programs. They teach a lot of stuff in four years, but you get somebody like you or somebody like James Neal who've been coding since you were like seven, right? Yeah. What's a four-year university going to compare against somebody who's already, who at, at 20 already has 10 years experience developing? Yeah. And by the same token, I think there's a lot of value in what those programs teach. But I think there's also a lot of value in somebody who's self-taught because it shows a sort of work ethic and self-motivation. But it also means that I don't have to compete with what they've already learned about what they think is the correct way to do everything, especially if they learned on something other than JavaScript, which, you know, a lot of comp site courses are going to teach you. Oh, yeah, man. Um, Turbo Pascal. That's what I came up with. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to teach them about the weirdness of JavaScript and they go, oh, I don't I don't like that. I can't really blame them sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, so this is probably going to be an unexpected question for you, but it's something that I do like bringing up. It's I, I tell people all the time to embrace the thing about you that makes you different from what ServiceNow is going to test you for on an exam, right? I've always found some of the more interesting and profound ServiceNow talents out there come from a non-traditional background. They didn't come up in IT. You know, they weren't like a school-taught developer. So one question I'd love to ask you is what non-ServiceNow background or even non-development background of yours has had the biggest impact on your work in the ServiceNow ecosystem? <laughs> Man, that's there's a lot of ways that I could answer that question. But for me, I would say it probably comes down to when I was a kid growing up, I didn't have a lot of resources that would allow me to get into the sort of technical aspect of the world that was still kind of new at the time. I'm 32 right now, I think, 87. I think that makes me 32. So I wasn't around when like the PDP-8 was a brand new thing or the Altair was like coming out and you would program it with switches, but I was poor enough that I could only afford that kind of technology. <laughs> So I feel like I kind of learned about technology in the same way that humanity did, that society did. I got to start with the very old and the, at the time, brand new. 
and work my way up to what was at the time modern when I was growing up and learning about it. And that gave me the opportunity to learn about things like, well, this is assembly language. How does assembly language work? And what does that mean? What does it translate to in terms of machine code on the lower level and programming code on the higher level? So not having those resources meant that if I wanted to learn how to do something, like if I wanted to learn how to, I don't know, get free internet access through dial-up because I, my family couldn't afford internet, I had to actually learn assembly and how to kind of decompile a program and make some tweaks. But don't worry, it was at least one statute of limitations ago, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, if I wanted a computer, it meant that I had to figure out something tantamount to an A-plus certification because all the parts that I had were these little, like, one or four meg memory sticks that I got from Goodwill in giant boxes of electronics along with, you know, sound cards and stuff. I had no idea. I just bought the whole box. And I was like, I'm going to make a computer out of this. I don't care if it kills me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did. I, I learned how to use that kind of stuff and the knowledge that I got from fiddling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the 10 hours of free internet that I had through Juno, which was later acquired by NetZero on dial-up, to download all the training that I could and, and learn about programming and computer science when I was just a little kid because I loved it. And I think that's probably the thing that shaped the sort of developer that I became more than anything else is just that seeing that if I really set my mind to it, knowledge is free. Knowledge is out there. I don't need to be rich. I don't need to have all the resources already to get the knowledge that I want. I just have to look for it, search for it, find it, and then I can use it. Man, I can't wait for this to go live. And I'm just going to aim it at everybody who asks me, how do I pass the ServiceNow Certified Admin exam? And good on you, man, for coming up the hard way in the school of hard knocks. I was... I had a lot of privilege in how I was raised. and I didn't have nearly the struggles. I'm always happy to hear those kinds of stories. And actually, you have a foundation that helps people out in that way, right? One of the things that I try to do to give back to the community, because one might not say that I was particularly privileged when I was younger, uh, at least financially, but there were people throughout my career and before I had a what you might call a career who took a chance on me. And it was only because those people took a chance on me and looked past the fact that I dropped out of high school and never went to college and saw what I could do and said, I want you to do more of that. But for me, it's because of those people that I have anything that I have and am anything that I am. And I remember what it was like to have nothing and how hard it was to get anything or to do anything. Life is so much harder when you have nothing. So what I do now to try to give back to people who are in a sort of similar situation to what I was in is I run a couple of charities, but the the main one is called the Precipice Foundation. And the idea there is for people who maybe live paycheck to paycheck, which by the way, 44% of Americans, nearly half of Americans in an emergency cannot find $400. And to some people, they're thinking, well, yeah, obviously that's a lot of money. And to some people, they're thinking $400, that's insane. You should be able to pull $400 out of your couch. And a surprising number of people in between those two zones couldn't find $400 in an emergency if they needed it. And those people live paycheck to paycheck. They're good, hardworking people. They do everything right. They pay their mortgage. And at the end of the month, they just don't have anything left in their bank accounts. So when something happens that really pulls the rug out from underneath them, they just don't have anywhere to turn. So the Precipice Foundation, the idea is we find those people and maybe we solve that problem financially just by making that particular bill go away 
you know, whatever it is that we need to do to make sure that they're not going to lose their house. That's the idea. We try and solve homelessness before it happens, not try and necessarily pull people out of homelessness once they're right. in that situation, although that's a, a noble goal, right? Stop them from getting under that line, right? Exactly. So for those of you listening in, we're going to put a link to the Precipice Foundation in the description below. Please check them out. And if you got a little bit of extra this season, please, please consider a donation. It's, it's a really good cause. So Tim, in a semi-related note, but back in the ServiceNow topic, like one of the things that I wanted to get to you on the show and tell people about is that you're one of the people in the community that gives a significant amount back and an area where I see you constantly raising the level of the ecosystem is on taking people from nothing to credible. So if anybody spent an appreciable amount of time on the ServiceNow community, you will see how do I pass the admin exam? You know, what they're trying to articulate is how do I start getting credible enough for people to look at me? I think they're going the wrong route by asking the exam, but that's just me. Why don't you tell... I'd have to agree with you there. Like, why don't we just go right into SN guys and your zero to credible content? I do run a, a small consulting company called the SN guys, and it's a little ironic because the company is actually majority owned by my wife, who's a minority woman, and it's called the SN guys. <laughs> Just thought that would be hilarious. My wife, I should mention, her name is Kim, and she's fantastic at front end. She's a full stack ServiceNow developer, but she's amazing at Service Portal on a level that I so am not, and I would not be able to do almost anything with Service Portal if not for her. So I do run a small company called the SN Guys, and we do professional services consulting, whatever it is that the client needs at a, a really high standard of quality. It's a very small company. We're not trying to work with everybody who wants ServiceNow work done. We're very kind of picky about who we work with and who we let give us money. <laughs> mm -hmm. As part of that, I also run a blog called SN Pro Tips, snprotips.com. It started as kind of a development blog where whenever there's something really neat, maybe a, a question that I've been asked and had to answer, and I think you know probably other people have this question too, and then it became a place where I can publish a bunch of different tools. I just, whenever I write something that I think is really neat, that I think is usable by the community, I put it up there in the tools section of SN Pro Tips. If there's a really neat concept that I think needs exploring, is not well understood, like Glide Ajax, for example, or asynchronicity versus synchronicity on the client side versus the server side, I think one of the highest callings of mankind is to learn and to teach. And so if I have an opportunity to teach and to kind of help people who are new or who are struggling with a particular topic, I would maybe be so brazen as to say that I'm pretty good at explaining things. One of the advantages of my background in teaching is that I learned kind of how to communicate technical concepts in a way that hopefully is pretty clear. And outside of technical documentation, which can be a bit arcane, I like to think that my articles are a pretty good resource for people who are approaching a topic for the first time. A great example is when you're learning programming for the first time, let's say you're learning JavaScript for the first time. You might learn, okay, well, if I type var and then a name and then set that var equal to some value, da 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 da, -da I learn all the, all the things about how JavaScript works. But one of the biggest questions that people come to me with when they're learning JavaScript is, right, but where do I write? How do I run it? What do I, how do I make it go? Like this website that's teaching me has given me a place to type this in. What if I just want to make my own website? Where do I write this? It's a ridiculously simple question that's super easy to overlook, but it's something that actually has to be explained. And it's something that a lot of experts, when they get really, really good at what they do, 
they kind of forget how people think, how they thought before they were really good at what they did. I'm um, over here so like, shoot, I got that question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry F12. to twelve. Yeah. Cool. The number of times that people have been baffled by like, I go, hit F12. It'll blow your mind <laughs> and, and just type it in there in the console. Obviously, people learn in different ways, but I think a lot of people have some of those fundamental questions and they feel that it's a really early barrier to entry to a lot of the more arcane topics because no one's explained the super basics to them and they may be embarrassed or they're not quite sure how to ask. So I try and explain things from a first principles approach. When I used to teach programming, I actually had a tattoo on my wrists, one of a transistor and one of a resistor. And when I used to teach programming, I would travel all over the world and I would teach, starting with, this is a transistor, this is a resistor. I'm no good at drawing on whiteboards, so I got the tattoos so I could just point to them. <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Instead of carrying around a piece of paper or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I figured this is easier. <laughs> and I would I would spend ten minutes on this is what a transistor is, this is what a resistor is. This is like literally the physics of how electrons flow through semiconductor transistors and P-type and N-type semiconductors and what that means and how you literally store a single bit of one or a zero in a transistor or a, a series of transistors and what that means. And then we would work our way up from there with just that super surface level understanding of the physics and engineering that go into computer science. We work our way up to understanding, well, okay, so what does that mean? You have a bit there, and what can you do with that? We talk about binary, really briefly touching it. We work our way up through machine language to assembly language to programming language to the surface level. And then we start talking about maybe the OSI model or something like that. But it all starts with first principles. And I don't go quite that deep in my articles, but <laughs> I try and take a, a, a first-ish principles approach to explaining things that I write articles about. Now that you've explained it that way, I am really excited to have you explain to the audience some of the other resources you have available for somebody who wants a deeper dive than, say, just your blogging. Well, I do have my books. I've got three books out there. The book that's primarily geared towards beginners is called Learning Service Now. And you can find it at LSN, as in Learning Service Now, dot SNC.guru. Learning Service Now is broken into two parts. The first part is geared toward administration. It's understanding the platform, the user interface, the elements, and kind of setting the stage for when I talk about the banner frame, when I talk about the application navigator, what are those things? And setting up some terminology and also just getting familiar with the platform in general, like the concept of update sets, which every Service Now developer knows is super important to understand. Mm -hmm. really thoroughly because it's also really easy to mess up yep and the second half of the book is aimed more at people who want to be developers and of course if you want to be a developer you should learn how to be an administrator but the second section does assume a little bit of javascript knowledge the book doesn't teach you javascript outright but it does teach you a lot of the more complex topics like you might learn the basics of javascript and not understand pass by reference which is one of the weird quirks of javascript but the book will teach you a little bit about what it is and how it works and why it's important to understand for certain things that you might do in the platform anyway the second half of the book is more about development than about administration it teaches you about the apis and some of the quirks and oddities when to code and when not to code in the platform and stuff like that the second book, which I'm most proud of, is the ServiceNow Development Handbook, and that's at handbook.snc.guru. That book is 
definitely aimed more at developers than administrators. Although I would argue that if a company is hiring an administrator in air quotes, what they really want is at least a little bit of a developer or maybe a future developer in training. The handbook is definitely aimed more at developers and it covers some of the more complex and arcane topics regarding the platform and development within the platform. And it teaches you some of the more advanced concepts that you'll need to understand to be a really good to kind of level up your developer knowledge. Uh, the second edition of Learning ServiceNow and the ServiceNow Development Handbook are out now. I'm working on the third edition of the handbook, but it still might be a couple of months away. And then I've also got the book Building Powerful Workflows. But I'm going to be honest with you, my publisher chopped that book all to hell. Mm. So I don't work with them anymore. Don't buy that book. Buy the other two. <laughs> well, there you go. Save you a dollar. There you go. Maybe another thing that I'd love for you to tell the, uh, the community about, oh, I want the community to know about it. The learning service now. You know your your gigantic mega thread? Oh, yeah. One of the more popular articles on SN Pro Tips is the, I think it's just titled How to Learn Service Now. And it, it doesn't focus just on the platform. There's actually a lot of foundational stuff that I recommend people learn if their aim is to become a ServiceNow developer before learning about the platform or even maybe even JavaScript. There's stuff like the Information Technology Infrastructure Library, or ITIL, which I think is important, but it's also really dry and arcane, so you might want to learn it kind of closer to the point where you're ready to get a job as a ServiceNow developer if you're new to the platform. So it covers ITIL. Right. It just goes on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing until you've got a big, huge foundation. Yeah, it, it starts you off with relational databases, and it tells you what are some key facts to know about relational databases before you move on. For example, it doesn't just say, go read a book about relational databases. Mm -hmm. It talks about some of the main things that you'll need to understand, like what's a primary key, what's foreign key, what are the different types of relationships and how do they work. It talks about many-to-many -many relationships, one-to-many relationships, one-to-one -one relationships and how they can be enforced and that kind of thing. And it doesn't teach those concepts. It just says these are some things that you should make sure that you understand. Don't jump around and focus just on those concepts, but as you're learning about databases, make sure you kind of hit all of these points. Then it goes into JavaScript. What are some things to know about JavaScript? Some peripheral concepts like JSON formatting and how to deal with JSON objects. And then finally, it talks about the ServiceNow platform. It gives you a bunch of resources for that. And each section has, you know, here are some things to learn and here are some resources to learn them. And kind of once you get to the end of the article, the idea is you should be a ServiceNow developer if I've done it correctly. Or rather, if they've put in the work is what I'd say. I've looked at that myself, mostly because like I was trying to build something similar and I was about a quarter of the way through when I saw yours and I was like, no way am I gonna get something as good as that. So now when anybody asks, I just like pull out that link and say, you gotta read this, but let he who starts this journey beware. Like you're not gonna read that article and come out the other side as a developer. Tim is just setting the stage for you so that on your own, you're gonna be be able to get this done exactly yeah pairing with that article i do have another one it's probably the second most popular article on the site which is kind of understanding how to approach service now as a career path that article is at career.snc.guru and it talks about deciding on your service now career path and maybe thinking about do you want to focus or specialize in a mm -hmm. particular module or platform technology it talks about how to build your service now resume how important certifications are Spoiler alert, not super very, unless you work at a consulting company that cares about that, in which case they should pay for it. Or you're taking subcontracts. That too. And some tips for interviewing for a ServiceNow position and some vague, you know, hand-wavy salary expectations that, you know, 
mm-hmm. you should use as a vague guide. I didn't know you had that going on. I, I tried to do a little something similar on my mailing list, uh, which will be in the description below, but it's just so much stuff. But it's it's a different game, right? People ask me, how did you do it? And I'm like, why on earth do you want to try the way I did, right? <laughs> like when I started, yeah. there was 50 people who knew anything about ServiceNow and all there was was ITSM and custom apps. It's a more crowded space now for certain, but there's also like... Eight, nine, ten, eleven different things that you can do to specialize. The career article talks about some of those specific things. Of course, there's a lot more than the article covers that you could specialize in, but it talks about some of the more common and high demand things that you might specialize in and gives you a couple of resources for them. It also does go into some detail about topics that are not specifically related to service now, like asking for a raise and provides mm. some resources like from PBS, for example, which has a, a show called Two Cents, uh-huh. which is great. And they also talk about how to ask for a raise and how to you know, negotiate with your boss and that kind of thing. So hopefully it's a useful resource for people, whether they're just getting into service now development as a career or whether they're trying to take their career to the next step. All right, Tim. So that's uh, creeping up to the end of our time here. So is there any other resources or things you want to share with the community before we say goodbye? One of the things that I'm, I'm really happy I've been able to contribute to the community is a bunch of free tools, which are all available on snprotips.com. If you go to the top in the tools drop down. There's a boatload of free tools, which are all out there. They have no branding, no advertising. They're not going to bother you. Come and give me your money. They're, they're just functionality that you can drop into your instance if you want in an update set. There's tools like a better one-click approval, which fixes some issues with uh, some mobile mail client apps, the journal redactor, a login link generator, smarter update sets, which is probably my favorite tool, and I feel like everybody should be using it, and it should be part of the platform already personally. JavaScript libraries, so if you're using your own IDE, uh, you can import the ServiceNow APIs into that IDE for IntelliSense style auto-completion and a temporary permissions utility that allows you to grant someone a certain role or group access that's then revoked after a fixed amount of time, time zone utilities, and all kinds of stuff like that. It's too much to list. Go check out the tools section of the site if you're interested. All kinds of free tools in there. Like I said, no branding, no advertising, nothing like that. Wow. So now I hope everybody realizes why I brought you on the show, Tim. (laughs) That is truly an amazing (laughs) set of free stuff on top of you being at the forefront of bringing people like into the community from zero to credible and beyond, man. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Not a problem at all. Thank you very much for having me. It's very kind of you to bring me on here and, and let me blab about my my little blog and everything. I appreciate it very much and I'm honored to be here. Yeah, no problem. Tim Woodruff, everybody, check the description below. We're going to have links to his website, all the articles that we discussed and his charity foundation. And once again, if you if you got a little bit extra this season, pay it forward, get on to Tim's charity. It's a great charity. Tim, thanks so much for coming. Thanks, Rob.